our living hope. He talks about um, the living and abiding word of God. He talks about that we are living stones being built up into the living stone, the cornerstone, which is Jesus Christ. And so I want you to fasten your attention, if you will, on this word, a living hope. It's my prayer that at the end of this message, you'll have a new sense of walking in this hope every day from here on out. I almost imagine a bubble around us, uh, and we're walking in this thing called a living hope. Well, the Christian singer Gloria Gaither experienced something akin to this living hope rooted in the resurrection in the 1960s. She was about to give birth to one of her children, and I'll read you an account of what happened. It says the the Gaithers were going through some terrible problems. Her husband Bill had been seriously sick. Their music had been criticized for not being spiritual enough. And on New Year's Eve, Gloria writes, quote, I sat alone in the darkness thinking about the rebellious world and all our problems and about our baby yet unborn. Who in their right mind would bring a child into a world like this. Have any of you mothers had that thought as you've moved toward having a baby? But then something happened. She said, I can't quite explain what happened in that next moment, but suddenly I felt released from it all. The panic that had begun to build inside was gently replaced by a reassuring presence and a soft voice that kept saying, don't forget the empty tomb. Don't forget the empty tomb. Then I knew I could have that baby and face the future with optimism and trust, for I had been reminded that it is all worth it just because he lives. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know he holds the future and life is worth the living just because he lives. Isn't that a great song that us oldies remember from the past? Um, Yeah, I can face the future just because he lives. So the title of this message this morning is, We Have Been Born Again to a Living Hope. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We've been born again to a living hope, and we're going to see some of the reasons or some of the components of this living hope as we read through one of the resurrection appearances, the one in John 20. Let's turn there together, John chapter 20. Starting in verse 19. John chapter 20 starting in verse 19. When therefore it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, so this is the same day that the tomb was found empty, it's in the evening. When the doors were shut where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be with you. 
When he had said this, he showed them both his hands and his side. The disciples therefore rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus therefore said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, their sins have been forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they have been retained. But Thomas, one of the twelve called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples, therefore, were saying to him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I shall see in his hands the imprint of the nails and put my finger into the place of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. And after eight days again, his disciples were inside and Thomas was with them. Jesus came, the doors having been shut, and he stood in their midst and said, Peace be with you. And then he turned to Thomas and he said, reach here your finger and see my hands and reach here your hand and put it into my side and be not unbelieving, but believing. Thomas answered and said to him, my Lord and my God, how Thomas must have been shredded by that moment, but so thankful to God. Jesus said to him, because you have seen me, Have you believed? Blessed are they who do not see and yet believed. Many other signs, therefore, Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which were not written in this book. But these have been written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. So the first thing I want you to notice here is that part of this living hope in our resurrected Lord is because he has given us an impartation of peace. An impartation of peace. The first thing he says to the disciples is, peace be with you. And then he shows them his hands and his side as if to help them wrap their minds around the fact that he's resurrected, that they're seeing a resurrected Christ, not just the Christ they knew before the cross. It was the evening of the day the tomb was discovered to be empty, and the day that the angel had said to Mary, he has risen, and they were still shut up in a room for fear of the Jews. Again, his first words were, of all the things he could have said. Let your mind focus on that for a minute, that he said, peace be unto you. Can you hear him saying that to you right now? Peace be unto you. Before the cross, Jesus had a lot to say about the peace that he gives. He said, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives, do I give unto you. He said, when you enter a house, if it's worthy of it, say, peace be unto this house. His peace is a supernatural peace, isn't it? 
It's a peace that passes all understanding, the scriptures say. And it's a demonstrated trait of kingdom believers. Um, I think of Romans uh, 14, 17 that says, The kingdom of God is not food or drink, but it's righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. When unbelievers at a funeral say of their rambler and rake loved one who has just died, he made his peace with God, they don't know what they're talking about. Because we, don't, we, we can't make peace with God. Only God can make peace with us. Which is what he did when he sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross and offer us salvation. But we have to accept his salvation on his terms, don't we? Not our terms. Romans 5.1 is a verse that Billy Graham used, uh, we might even say exploited, to see many, many, many people come into the kingdom. He said, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Probably my favorite verse on peace, though, is Isaiah 26.3, thou dost keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed upon thee, because he trusts in thee. I want to say to you guys, no matter what you're going through today, our resurrected Lord has an impartation of peace for you. And so, if you are just in a place of, 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 of torment or being ripped up in your spirit over some situation or something go along, going wrong, I want to say to you in behalf of the Lord, peace be unto you. Just receive his peace in these moments, remembering that when he came to his disciples, he said, not once, not twice, but if we include the eight days later, peace be unto you. He said that three times or every time that he joined them in his resurrection appearances. So we have been, first of all, born again to a living hope, and that hope includes an impartation of peace. I hope you're at peace today. And then next, in this resurrection appearance, we see that there is a commissioning. There's a commissioning of purpose. After peace be with you, what did Jesus say next? Let's take a look. He said, as the Father has sent me, I also send you. And right here, the disciples were transformed from disciples to apostles. You know, sometimes they're called disciples, sometimes they're called apostles. I don't know if that's ever confused you. But the word apostle means one sent with a commission. And here Jesus is commissioning the disciples with their marching orders, that they are to go just as he came and to spread the gospel. Um, even though we are not apostles, because we have not seen, we did not physically see the resurrection of our Lord, this is our mandate too, isn't it? 
to spread the word, to show the love of God, and to take his gospel wherever we go. For example, at the Last Supper, Jesus said to his disciples, uh, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain. On another, in another resurrection appearance uh, in Galilee on a mountain, Jesus said to his followers there, uh, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, therefore go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you even to the end of the age. In 2 Corinthians 5, we're told that we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us to people to be reconciled to God. We're told that we are adequate ministers of a new covenant, ministers, a, a, a covenant that brings life, and we're told also that we are the aroma of Christ, manifesting the knowledge of him in every place. There's a preacher named Scott Bales um, of Blooming, Blooming Grove Christian Church, and he writes about this idea of purpose. What is our purpose? And uh, he says this, at some point in your life, you have to ask yourself, where did I come from? Where am, why am I here and where am I going? Science attempts to answer the first question, where did I come from? And philosophy wrestles with the second, why am I here? But only Jesus offers a meaningful answer to all three. The search for the meaning of life has puzzled people for thousands of years, primarily because we typically begin at the wrong starting point ourselves. We ask self-centered questions like, what do I want to be? What should I do with my life? What are my goals, my ambitions, my dreams for the future? But focusing on ourselves will never reveal our life's purpose. I don't know if anyone has ever told you this, but life's not all about you. It's about him. It's all about him. And like John the Baptist, when God is moving in our lives, there's a constant whisper in our spirits, he must increase, but I must decrease. So our living hope, secondly, contains a commission, our marching orders to spread the love of God, his gospel, to disciples, make new disciples into kingdom maturity. You know, I'm glad for our renewed emphasis on evangelism and disciple-making here at TCF. Let's be in prayer for this move of the Holy Spirit. So in summary of the second point, I want to say our commander-in-chief has given us a purpose, a commissioning. So let's be about our Father's business. Amen? Number three, in this living hope, we've also been given an impartation of power in the Holy Spirit, an infusion of power, supernatural power. How many would like a little bit more of that supernatural infusion of power in the Holy Spirit? I guess only one over here. 
Anybody, anybody else need that bit of infusion of power? Well, in verse 22 of John 20, we see that Jesus breathed on them and he said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. I know you'll agree with me that without the power of God, we can't do anything to advance the kingdom of God. Do you agree? Because in the kingdom, it's the Holy Spirit that convinces the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Because of this power, the apostles were able to face untold suffering and torture and even death. Listen to this list. John, the apostle John, was boiled alive, but he survived and died of old age in emphasis. Bartholomew was skinned alive and crucified in agony. Matthew also burned alive. Peter crucified upside down in Rome. Andrew crucified in Greece. James, the son of Alphaeus, stoned by the Jews, and then his brain dashed out with a fuller's club. James, the son of Zebedee, he was beheaded by Herod Agrippa. Judas, not Iscariot, was beaten to death. Philip was martyred in Turkey by means unknown. Simon the Zealot crucified. Thomas martyred with a spear in India. Matthias stoned to death and then beheaded by the Jews. The resurrection power of our Lord. When a person believes in the Lord Jesus Christ and repents of his sin and descends into Christ's death in believer's baptism, that believer is also and will also be raised to newness of life, to resurrected living in Christ, and he receives the power of the Holy Spirit. In fact, the person of the Holy Spirit himself. Romans 6, 4 and 5 says it this way. Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death, in order that as Christ was raised from the dead, so we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also in the likeness of his resurrection. Peter, on the day of Pentecost, is another place where we read about this, where the people were so convicted, they said, what shall we do? Brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and let each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. As I was studying this week, I, I came upon something that was new and interesting to me, and that is that the early church believers had a mindset that they truly had died when they were baptized, that that was their death. And so when a believer in Christ died physically at the end of their life, that was called falling asleep. Isn't that interesting? So they had this mindset that their real death 
was in the waters of baptism and that now they were living in union, full union with Jesus Christ. For example, in Acts 7, we read of Stephen being stoned and uh, the last thing he says is, Father, forgive them. And then the, the scriptures say he fell asleep. Paul in Galatians 2.20 said, For I, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. They had a mindset that they had died in the waters of baptism, but also that they had been raised to newness of life and had the Holy Spirit fully operating within them. I thank God for Romans 8, verse 11, where we read this exciting verse, but if the same Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal body. The King James says, quicken your mortal body through his spirit which indwells you. So I want to ask you, is this talking about the new creation, our, our regeneration in Christ? Is it talking about the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit where we're being changed from one degree of glory to another? Is it talking about being raised are our bodies being raised on that last and glorious day? Maybe it's about receiving our new resurrection bodies. I'm not sure. But probably the multiple choice answer is E, all of the above. I think of it when I get out of bed in the morning, when my back hurts, I'm stiff and sore, my joints are cracking and popping, I say to myself, oh my Lord, quicken this mortal body. Quicken this mortal body. At least get me to the bathroom. So our living hope includes an infusion of power rooted in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the power of the Holy Spirit is at work in us within this, this living hope. For it is God who is at work in you, it says in Philippians, both to will and to do his good pleasure. That's a comforting verse because so often we say to ourselves, I'm not worth much. God's not doing much with me. Uh, if I were really living the way I should, I'd be flying up here somewhere and Thousands would be coming to Christ and, you know, whatever, whatever your thing is. But it's just good to know that God is at work in us. Let's just take him at his word. God is at work in you. If your body is diseased or your mind is uncertain or uh, family problems, God is at work in you, both to will and to do his good pleasure. I think he can handle it. I think he can handle it. So our living hope includes that infusion of power through the Holy Spirit. Thank God. I just say, thank God. And then fourth, just like the apostles, our living hope 
also includes a promise of eternal life. A promise of eternal life. Life here, the word life is the Greek word zoe, meaning um, the fullness of life in God, both now and in eternity. And when it comes to eternal life and our life in heaven, I think we're like Billy in the movie Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. We have the golden ticket. We have, because of what Christ did, we have the golden ticket. And uh, from our text in 1 Peter, we see that those who believe there's a resurrection or a reservation, I meant to say, in heaven. A reserved seat waiting for you in which no one else can sit. You ever gone into a theater and you've gone down towards the front? For some reason, there's these plum seats right in front. And you go down there thinking, I can score one of those. And there's a little, there's paper there that says reserved. Well, I'm picturing it that way for heaven, in heaven for you. There's a plum seat there and your name is on it and no one can sit there except you jesus said i go to prepare a place for you that you may be with me there forever but in first peter we see a little description of that in verse four let me read it to you again i'll start in verse three blessed be the god and father of our lord jesus christ who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and to obtain an inheritance which is what? Imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away. Sounds pretty secure, doesn't it? Reserved in heaven for you. Can you accept that? Reserved in heaven for you. There is a place, there is a seat reserved for heaven in you. In Revelation chapter 1, there's reference made to um, those who will walk in the city of God in heaven. And the wording there says, these are those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Well, shortly after I received the Lord, I was 17, I was in... Jasper, Alberta, Canada, a hitchhiker had witnessed to me and everything came together and I went off into the mountains and prayed to receive Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior and I felt him come in and I felt my sins being lifted off. I felt free of guilt and shame and uh, the conflicts within myself. And um, a couple of days later, I was sitting with a, really a group of hippies in um, a park in Jasper. We were a pretty rough-looking bunch. And um, so we're there, we're having wine and cheese and sitting there, and um, all of a sudden, out of the corner of my eye, I see this old woman coming toward us, making a beeline toward us. And she began to talk about how she... Uh, was a follower of Jesus Christ, but early in her Christian life, she didn't, she didn't have assurance of salvation. And so she 
kind of locked herself in her room or her apartment, and she said, I was determined to pray until I knew my name was written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And she said, I prayed and I prayed for days, and finally the Lord broke through and spoke to me and said, yes, your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. So it was an amazing thing. Here's this woman talking to all these rough uh, young men, fearless, um, talking about the Lord, talking about heaven. And then she reached out and she patted my head three times and then left. And I took that as a sign from the Lord that he had heard my prayer, that I had eternal life, that my sins were forgiven, that he had truly entered in and he would transform my life from this point forward. Um, it was, a, it was a, a, a wonderful little gift. But we believe that whether you have something like that or not, if you have believed in Jesus Christ, if you have confessed him as Lord and Savior, if you have descended into the waters of baptism, if you have received the Holy Spirit, you, your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. Romans 10, 9 and 10, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your, uh, Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Your name is written in heaven. Your name is in the book of life. You have the golden ticket. There's a seat reserved for you. Hallelujah. Lastly, our living hope in this particular resurrection appearance speaks of a special blessing. This blessing is so special that we here today, have, it goes beyond even what the 12 apostles had. That's a pretty startling statement, isn't it? But I want you to notice with me, uh, I believe it's verse 29 of our resurrection appearance. This is where Jesus has come after eight days uh, back and he has said to, to Thomas, uh, don't be unbelieving, but be believing. And then Thomas says his profession of faith, my Lord and my God. And Jesus says what? Because you have seen me, have you believed? Blessed are they who do not see and yet have believed. Who's that? That's us. We here today are those who have not seen and yet believe. And Jesus Christ, in that simple verse, has pronounced some kind of blessing upon us. The great English preacher Charles Spurgeon wrote about this verse, saying that our blessedness is greater than those who lived before Christ, yet looked forward to him in faith, greater than those who saw him in the flesh, even greater than those who saw him in his resurrected body. Spurgeon writes, this blessedness can be reached by all of us who believe in Jesus Christ today. 
Those who lived in the world before Christ came saw his day by faith, and they were blessed. Those who lived in his day and saw him in the flesh and trusted him were blessed. But we who cannot see him yet believe in him are the most blessed of all. Have you ever thought about yourself that way? More blessed in some sense than the 12 apostles? It's certainly a mystery, yet I would suggest the answer seems to be that God is impressed by or approves highly of a faith that cannot see. You remember the Roman centurion who came to Jesus in Matthew 8? Let me read a couple of verses. This is a a Roman soldier who came to Jesus. And uh, Jesus, you know, he said, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering great pain. And so Jesus said to him, I will come with you and heal him. But the centurion answered and said, Lord, I'm not worthy for you to come under my roof. Just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I, too, am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. I say to this one, go, he goes. I say to another, come, and he comes. And to my slave, do this, and he does it. Now, when Jesus heard this, he what? He marveled. That's pretty cool, that Jesus would marvel at something. He marveled, and he said to those who were following Truly I say to you, I have not found such great faith with anyone in Israel. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, um, uh, But faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And also Romans 8.24 and 25 talks about hope. Romans 8:24 and 25 says for in hope we have been saved but hope that is seen is not hope for why does one hope for what he sees but if we hope for what we do not see with perseverance we wait eagerly for it so my little hypothesis about this blessing that Christ pronounced on those who have not seen and yet believe is that believers who are in our position have to develop a robust hope, a tenacious faith, and, um, and that Jesus has given indications that that greatly pleases him. We don't totally understand this spiritual blessing, but one thing I know, one thing I do know, is while we wait for him, we have incredible joy, incredible joy. In describing the elements of this living hope that we've been talking about, Peter says in verse 8 of our chapter, our text, he says this, and though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible, joy inexpressible, and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. 
In this living hope in which we walk, there is a, a special blessing for us. And that blessing is inexpressible joy, robust faith, a strong hope. And uh, I'm just fascinated that Jesus would say that about us. So in conclusion, we, we celebrate today our living hope, rooted in the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. This living hope includes an impartation of peace, a commissioning of purpose, an infusion of the Holy Spirit and power, the promise of eternal life, and indications of a special blessing just, just for us. May we walk in this living hope always, saying, because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know he holds the future and life is worth the living just because he lives. Would you stand with me? When the early Christians encountered one another, just like they had a different mindset about death, they had a different mindset about the resurrection. When they would encounter each other on the street, they, one would say, he is risen, and the other would say, he is risen indeed. And I know there are some of you out there that would be disappointed if we didn't say that to each other. So, he is risen. He is risen indeed. He is risen. He is risen. Let's just thank the Lord and worship Him and praise Him. Thank you, Father. Praise be to your glorious name, Lord. Thank you for all you have done for us. We give you all the praise and glory and honor in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.